You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those people, men and women who lived well, who died well, who rose to the challenges of their time and brought their medicine forward in a way that made the world a better place for the living and a better place for those who are coming. So I call out to these ancestors to gather around us and to help us, the living, to meet the challenges of our own time, to lean in and learn from those who have gone before us, and to take that learning forward out uh, into the world, to meet the challenges of our time in a way that allows us to innovate and change those things that must be different, and to settle in and remember those things that have always been the same. And help us to gain the wisdom to know the distinction and the discernment between these two. And as those human ancestors gather around us here today, let's reach beyond the humans, having been here for such a very short time, and reach out to all of life and to all of those ancestors in their many forms that have been here much, much longer than there was ever a human and will be here long after. So we call out to these ancestral energies of life itself here on earth. And we ask them to help us to remember our own true nature. Help us to understand how to come into right relationship with all living things. And help us to embrace the great innate wisdom that we see in the ecosystems around the world. And help us to bring our choices and actions into harmony with all of life. So as these non-human ancestors gather around as well with the human ancestors and our helping spirits in this way, let us gather our own spirit from wherever it might be so often distracted in our everyday life. Let's take a nice deep breath and draw our own consciousness back into our mind. And with the next breath, let's draw that consciousness from our mind into our heart. And from the next breath, let's draw that awareness from our heart down into our belly. And from our belly, let's take a moment now and reach out to the earth herself and to give thanks. Thanks for the journey that you have been on, that it's brought you to this place and time. For all that has been on that journey, we give thanks. For all that is in this moment, we give thanks. And for all that will be, we give thanks. We give gratitude to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming and the enormous generosity that all that needs to change can be changed as long as we are still breathing. And we give gratitude to the earth for the diversity and the beauty and the challenges that help each one of us to become the men and the women that we were actually born to be. So as our gratitude for the absolute wonder and awe of life itself moves in our hearts, let us send that gratitude out to all the layers of the earth as we begin to reach down, reaching down deeply into the center of the earth 
an actual manifestation of our choice to be here and to be grounded into the earth. Connect deeply there and shift our focus for a moment to those energies that draw their power and wisdom out of darkness, out of silence, out of solitude, out of stillness. Let us connect with that energy that is before, that is before all of the abundance and joy and beauty that we experience here on earth, that energy that is before, that nourishes and restores all life. Let us connect deeply into that energy and draw it up, up through all the layers of the earth into our own body, revitalizing, replenishing, nourishing, all that we find within ourselves, just the way fresh, cool, clear spring water recharges everything on a hot, hot day. So let that refreshing energy rise up to renew and restore. And let us draw on that earth energy to get a sense of place, a sense of who we are in our body and this place on the land. Who do we, who are we and what do we stand for? And to begin to craft a life that has a sense of heart and meaning and to define things like home, things like belonging based on that which has heart and meaning, not simply habit and expectation. And as we begin to shape these new ideas in ourself and in our life based on our grounded here, groundedness here on earth, let us open our home to those who are other than we are and our table to those who are different than we are. And let us have that sense of harmony come not simply from gathering around us, people just like us, but to open ourselves to others, to the other, to that which is different, that which will challenge us and provoke us into growing into the men and women that we were truly meant to be. And in this way, we can learn to come into right relationship with all the aspects of ourself inside, right relationship with each other, right relationship with our environment and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we do this, let us connect to the oneness of all of these things and take that sense of right relationship from our place in the great web of life. And with this this possibility, let our energy rise up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind all the way up, out the top of our heads into the sky and whatever the weather holds for you in this moment, rising up through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and rising all the way up to that highest energy, that highest power in the universe by whatever way you understand this energy, however you conceive of it, whatever name you call it, however it is that you relate to it, relate, connect, see yourself in it and it in you and gather this energy down, bringing into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings, the profound essence energy of blessing, the essence energy of protection, of generosity, of creativity. We call this energy in that we might feel the benevolence of our universe to open to inspiration and illumination and the beneficence of the big all that is. And as we call this energy into ourself, let it move down through our body, down into the earth. We let the energies of earth and sky connect these two great legendary lovers. And in that connection between us, that center channel, let that big love these two energies share. Awaken the spirit of your own heart. Nourish it and inspire it to come alive. And as your heart comes online, let 
that powerful crucible of transformation that lives in your heart also fire up. Draw up the passionate energies of your belly that knows why you are here and call down the crystal cool clarity of your mind to understand how are you going to do this in this time. And as these two energies dance together there in your heart, may that passionate uh, dynamic between the two give birth to the third and most sacred thing that you carry, which is some sense, some inkling, some memory, some awareness of why it is that you are here, unique in this life. And may you find courage in that very same human heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that soul's purpose into manifestation in the world. And I give enormous gratitude to all the spirit help that is here for each one of us, whether we believe in it or not, to help us to do that thing, to bring those gifts in the world. So I give enormous gratitude for all of the help that is here for us. May what needs to be said be said here today, and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd like to give thanks to these particular living things, to Sherwood and Abigail, to David, Julie, John, Chirp, Maria, Hannah, and Katie, and all the listeners who are able to financially donate to the show. Listeners that have donated for years fall away, new ones come in, and in this way the show stays live and free and available on the air. The archives have now more than 350 hours about the practical application of shamanism in our everyday lives, and I give gratitude to all of you who have donated, who are, and who will for helping me to make that happen. For those of you that would like to, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button, and donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. We're happy for all of it. It all goes directly to keeping this show on the air and in the archives, free for anyone in the world who can connect to them through the Internet. So I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful for the many things you are doing in your lives to bring these teachings to life through your choices, through your actions, and all the other many ways that you can help the show to grow. So for all that you are doing with me to keep this alive and available for people in the world, I give great thanks. And again, if you're uncomfortable with support via the Internet, please feel free to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I would be happy to give you a regular address for a regular old-fashioned check. And I thank you all for all of it. So today we are um, finally <laughs> able to go forward with our show about ancestral medicine. Rituals for Personal and Family Healing with Daniel Four. Daniel Four is our guest today. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm very, very, very grateful and for your patience uh, with our technological difficulties last week. Um, so, Daniel, uh, we have a show with Daniel from 2012 in the archives. For those of you that want to listen, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Click on the guests, scroll down to Daniel 4, F-O-O-R, and you can listen to the previous show. And I re-listened to the show recently, Daniel. It's pretty good. I mean, we were really able to talk about a lot of the foundational um, 
things, ideas, awarenesses that we need to have to engage in ancestral work. So I encourage people to, to go back to that show. It's, it's was, um, Daniel had really, really beautiful things to say in that show. Today and actually next week, we're going to be exploring even deeper into, um, ancestral medicine. Um, in particular in great celebration for Daniel's just published book of the same name. And it's beautiful, um, big, <laughs> and it really, um, holds such, um, huge volumes of wisdom about how we as contemporary people can begin to engage in this really, really important work. So for those of you that don't know, Daniel is a licensed psychotherapist and a doctor of psychology. He has led ancestral and family healing intensives throughout the United States since 2005. He is, initi- he is an initiate in the Ifa Orisha tradition of the Aruba-speaking West African peoples. And he is trained uh, with teachers in Buddhism and Sufism and different indigenous paths, including um, older ways of his own bloodline European ancestors. Currently, he lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, with his lovely wife, um, which wasn't true last time we talked. So congratulations, Daniel. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, Good. it's beautiful. So for those of you that want to connect with Daniel, please do so. You can connect with him at Daniel at ancestralmedicine.org. And you can also explore his classes and speaking engagements at ancestralmedicine.org. Um, and we are live today. So if you'd like to ask us questions, you are welcome to. You can call us at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype call us through the co-creatornetwork.com site if you're listening live through the site and um, speak to us in that way or email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org or daniel, again, at daniel at ancestralmedicine.org. Okay, so... So Daniel, on the previous show in the archives, by the way, people, that's in, that show is entitled, What Must We Change in Ourselves to Birth a New World? Which is a little bit distracting from the fact that the show is pretty much all about ancestral medicine. But anyway, so in this show, the one that's in the archives, we did talk about the need for ancestral healing and earth honoring. And I encourage people to dig into that show in the archives. Um, so today I hope to cover that ground, but also to go dig in even, even deeper to the ramifications of this, this work and the challenges with this work. So just to put you on other people's map, their landscape, so the sort of teaching healing landscape out there. Daniel, would you just share with us the, the different focuses of your education, both academic and experiential, that kind of culminates in in the man that you are now and the practitioner and teacher that you are now. Sure, yeah. I, uh, I wasn't raised with any kind of framework for ritual, so I sought that out as a teenager and then into my adulthood. My formal academic training is in religious studies, and then I did a master's in counseling, became a licensed marriage and family therapist, and did a PhD in psychology and a dissertation on the use of shamanic healing methods in a clinical mental health setting. But most of my training to be able to do the work that I do now has come through work with different ritual teachers and spiritual teacher type people that included initially work with 
uh, pagan shamanic traditions as a, even as a teenager, uh, which was I was fortunate to reconnect early with the teachings and spend a little time in living in North Africa as a, as a Fulbright scholar and student of Islam and Islamic Sufism as a practicing Muslim at the time. Uh, have had the opportunity to sit maybe just seven or eight maybe week retreats in Zen traditions. So I have a lot of respect for the Dharma and, and Buddhist wisdom. And mostly my focus has been work work with indigenous or earth honoring traditions. Not, not all indigenous, but earth honoring at least some indigenous. And so I've worked with uh, Mongolian teacher Sarangiro Odagam before she passed in 2006. I spend a lot of time sitting in ceremony with Native North American waves, especially Lakota and Native American church. And I don't presume to represent those waves, but they've been an important influence on um, my, I guess, style and temperament around ceremony. And then I'm, as you shared, an initiate in Ifa tradition, which is uh, based in Yoruba speaking West Africa. And so I've been four times now back and forth to Nigeria and have been fairly immersed in that tradition for about a decade. And so uh, those are influences. And then my public-facing teaching has been intended to be accessible to people of uh, a lot of different backgrounds. I believe there is a space for doing a really good job with the fundamentals ritually in a way that can be translated into whatever specific ritual path or technology people are coming from for those who are drawn to work within the tradition, because the reality in 2017 is many, many, many people are not going to put up with the complexities of being part of an established lineage and tradition. And those people still have a soul spirit that needs ministered to. They still have a lot of impact. And so I am passionate about helping people to do a really good job with the fundamentals of ritual and ceremony and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's briefly about my own background. Yeah. Um, what, what were the, what, that's a, a broad, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a broad course of study that really gives you a huge foundation to draw from. So what in that really opened your eyes to the importance of the ancestral healing piece in particular, ancestral medicine relationship with our ancestors piece. What, what made you go, wow, okay, this is my thing. Sure. Uh, I had the good fortune. My first teachers in shamanic practice, Becky and Crow in the church of earth healing in the late nineties, uh, encouraged me to directly relate to directly connect with ancestral guides and teachers. And that day of ritual in the late nineties was, uh, pivotal for me as I saw the way that connection with older guides and teachers can also lead to healing for the recent dead. As my grandfather, my father's father took his own life, uh, shot himself. And so part of the work that day was partnering with his much older ancestors to bring a kind of repair and healing to him. And, uh, and so that combined with my training in psychology and my choice to just really dig deep into genealogical research in my own family uh, was a catalyst for me to uh, pursue ancestral lineage healing work with people. And after six or so years of doing really focused work with my own ancestors, I began to support others gradually 
in that kind of repair work with their people. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's taken on a life of its own since then. I didn't really seek it out. It's a specialization. I actually like being out in the wilderness more, but part of my service to the other than humans is to help the humans to work their stuff out of it because there's not really environmental problems per se. It's just human behavior problems. So I'm, uh, my love for the earth has me working with the humans as pain in the butt as we can be. So, <laughs> and then, and then recently becoming a bit more politically, I don't know if you say politically active or willing to look more directly at, at aspects of cultural healing that I was slow to fully look at before. Um, I am excited now about the implications of ancestral healing work, not just for personal and family healing, but also for cultural healing and for transforming a lot of the uh, inherited toxicity around colonialism, racism, sexism, etc. that we we're just down lineage from these days. So let's um let's definitely make sure we get back to that later on in the show, but we should probably cover some fundamentals since for all we know half the people listening and we're listening for the very, very first time. Um, but let's start with why. I, I, one of the things that I see with people and this whole issue of is why should I bother? I mean, especially with their own frustrations with the very recent dead that they may have known and potentially felt traumatized by. There's a real sense of I just want distance. Um, so sure. could you, sh- yeah, so could you share some stories, maybe even from some of the people you've worked with who've given you permission to share their stories about what can come into someone's life? If they're willing to explore doing this work in terms of, you know, brass tacks, how does my contemporary life change? I think there are all kinds of motivations that people can, that can bring people to choose to consciously engage their ancestors. A popular one is your suffering. And you understand instinctively that the suffering you're working with didn't begin with you and that it has some intergenerational element to it. And that instinct is often accurate. I see most kinds of suffering psychologically or other or physically as well as being intergenerational or ancestral, you could say. And so from a purely self-interested level, engaging with the ancestors can help to metabolize suffering. Uh, it also helps to alleviate isolation or the illusion of separateness, which it sucks. It's painful emotionally. And, and so even if people have a really dysfunctional recent uh, ancestral profile, if you will, and they have an effective and strong boundary with those ancestors, the best they can really achieve, ancestrally speaking, is the, the presence of an absence, like a, a, an emptiness where ancestral support ideally would be. The, the aversion that folks often uh, experience at the proposition of ancestral engagement comes from a perception that the ancestors are individuals and that they're just the recent ones. But a lot of traditional cultures, when they think of the ancestors, they think of lineage. They think, uh, sorry, there's, there's quite a bit of uh, back, background noise, Christina. I'm not sure how to uh, address it. Um, are, okay. Kim will look at that. Uh, one sec. Are you, are you still there, Christina? You are, yeah? Yes, yes. Okay, great. Uh, the, uh, so folks 
who, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought a bit. They, well, you were talking about the, you know, the the bigger lineage. It's not just individuals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. The when folks think of the ancestors, they tend to think of just the recent ones and just individuals. And so, what I would like to suggest is that the the remembered dead, whether you're adopted and you, you won't know your biological parents, or you have ten generations of genealogy names, the recent dead are are just a very small percentage of the overall field of ancestral consciousness. And to think of ancestor work or ancestral repair work or engagement as connecting also with much older ancestors that along any lineage you can think of, even if you have a restraining order out on your parents appropriately, uh, there are older, well, wise ancestors that are available in the present for relationship. And so connecting with them can bring blessing and protection and a sense of belonging into your life in a good way. They're great for clarifying life purpose. The ancestors are excellent teachers for metabolizing inherited trauma, whether it's through obvious kinds of trauma, like the historical genocides in North America, or less obvious trauma. Uh, we A lot of what we inherit struggle with is ancestral again. So the older ancestors ritually speaking, are an excellent go-to place for knowing how to transform that, get free from that, embody the goodness from our specific lineages, and move ahead. So uh, those are just a few reasons. Of course, people drawn to ritual and ceremony. It's an integrity-based focus because it's better than just reaching in a hungry way for other people's traditions without discernment. And I'm not saying it's problematic inherently to practice the traditions of others. But if you do it without respecting your own ancestors in the process, that can get uh, a bit more convoluted and problematic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are a few reasons to to step in. There are others. Oh, if you're afraid to die, too, it's, uh, it's good to alleviate that. And if you are caring for older family members and it's burdensome to you, it's very beneficial to call in the ancestors to assist with that care. Um, And then another thing that people don't always understand, because I think we're all coming to just understand this right now, is is many of these things that you're talking about, they're the sort of the identified diagnosis. But for us as the living, we often experience these, um, the effects of these things in our health, in our physical health. And chronic problems that we can't really find the reason for or chronic, chronic low-grade health problems or mental uh, well-being problems, you know, that just dog us no matter what we do. And what, what we are not cognizant of is, as you've been saying, is, is how pervasive the effect of the ancestors both in ill health but also as a healing force depending on which ancestors we're talking about. Yeah. 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 A lot of our physical challenges are ancestral, and that's scientifically sound as a way of thinking about it. And just like in the world of mental health, a number of years ago, people would could recognize that trauma, for example, causes damage to the nervous system. It later was recognized that there's neuroplasticity, that the nervous system can actually change and heal, and uh, we can have earned attachment. We can recover to a degree from the damage of trauma. It's also true ancestrally to a degree. 
that there is what I would consider genetic plasticity, that the legacy epigenetically from our people, the ways that the suffering of our specific blood ancestors is imprinted in our body, once the ancestors themselves are deeply at peace and once we have done the emotional work to face them and come back into relationship with them, that can actually uh, optimize our inheritance from them on a body and bone and blood level. So it sounds out there now to use an expression like genetic plasticity, but that's kind of the implication of the more recent field of epigenetics that even our bodies change. And of course, many indigenous earth honoring cultures have implicitly gotten that all along. And so it looks to them often like Western science is just catching up. Which mm-hmm. it's fine. I mean, it's it's important to be humble, but it's good to it's good to catch up. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's another, just another little piece that I I also think people are somewhat surprised by is that the 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 what I call the luminous ones or those those ancestors who've been ancestral helping spirits for you know longer than than you know we've been alive. <laughs> They've been helping for generations and they're really good at it and they know their job and they want to do it. It's a function that they have and that they're actually frustrated with their inability to help us because of, of the sort of the snarl of energy between us, which starts with our own just ignorance of the problem and, and lack of understanding and skill, but then also the unresolved familial things that end up in the way and that, that a lot of people don't realize that, there is a big pressure on, from the other side of wanting to step into right relationship with us and help us. Huge That's resource right. of help that oh, we're yeah. tapping into. Yeah, It's been my primary work for about 12 years to help people of diverse backgrounds, especially European ancestry people, but, but really people of diverse backgrounds to enjoy direct relationship with their older ancestors and to have a framework to do that safely and it's very, very common that when folks drop in directly with their older ancestors that the ancestors themselves are like, oh, good to see you. Took you a minute. Been waiting for you. Yeah. And yeah. that there's a sense that they were ready for that to happen and that it was even overdue. And so absolutely about them wanting contact from their side. And, I mean, imagine their predicament. They want to be involved, many of them at least, in how things unfold here, sometimes as part of their own reparations, sometimes you know, for all kinds of reasons, because they're, they're kind and loving and they want to help. And then their living people don't have a pathway in. So you send them a strong dream, you send them synchronicities, you put people in their path, you hope they get it, um, and sometimes you send them illness as a form of kind intervention and hope that it doesn't kill them, but rather just get their attention. So the ancestors uh, in general have a great amount of caring and investment in how things go. And having said that, many among the dead are not yet well. Many are still troubled or can be a source of illness in an unhelpful way. So the distinction between the dead who are at peace or well, the ancestors, if you will, and the dead who are not yet well, the ghosts, the, the not yet ancestors. It's a critically important distinction. So, 
So yeah, that's a lot of what we go into in the, in the work and in the book is how to partner with the older ones, typically the older ones, who are quite well in spirit, and bring their support and backing to heal up those who are not yet well and help those ones who are not yet well to finally join the ancestors in a, in a definitive way. So this segues beautifully into my next question, which was just to begin to kind of run down the fundamentals here. And the first was just going to be, okay, so who are the ancestors? So those are, so you've just spoken to the two, the, the really important distinction. <laughs> um, but yeah, so who are the ancestors then? If we start talking yeah, about Yeah, well, our yeah, sure. A few things about them. Uh, you think of, think of human as a kind of form with many of uh, you know, many humans are in physically incarnate, many are not incarnate right now. So the ancestors are all the human consciousness or energy that's not incarnate right now, that dwells in the present, in, in the broadest definition. Of course, you could define it more broadly to say the bears, the wind, the trees are our ancestors, and that's fine, it's beautiful, it's poetic, and, uh, you know, you can't argue with that. Uh, and functionally speaking, I'm defining ancestors as the human ancestors rather than the, the collective much bigger cosmic ancestors or entire planetary ancestors so and within I'll that just definition jump in there, human just, just really quick can i just jump in and re- remind yeah. me so we we did a whole series on different energies that show up and operate as helping spirits so this is an important distinction that daniel's making that the, the human ancestral helping spirits have a function that is different than the vaster definition of ancestors, like you were saying, like bear or mustard plant. I mean, technically, they were here before us. They're part of the dream of life. So, yes, they're also ancestors. But they don't have the same function that our human ancestors have. And, and I think that that's important for people to remember is what we're really talking about with Daniel here and ancestral medicine is restoring this relationship between the living and the dead so the dead can do their function with the living so the living can do their thing, which is really for those who are coming <laughs> so, and that whole circle. So anyway, so back to who are the ancestors. So we have, Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And so within that broad definition of saying the living and the dead are two halves of the calabash, the defined human functionally. Of course, we have many relationships with the other, many different kinds of other than humans. But more narrowly, those among the dead who are well in spirit are the ancestors. And so in method-wise, I I ask people to consider the dead on a 1 to 10 spectrum, the higher the better. So the 1 to 3 are the really quite fragmented, troubled, dangerous, uh, just quite unwell, dead. And there are many living humans that are like this as well, of all different kinds of backgrounds. And then the four to six range are the the, re- the regular ghosts. They're not uh, tormented necessarily, but they're not deeply at peace yet. And the seven or above, those are what I would consider true ancestors, the ones who are quite well in spirit. And this mirrors the condition of the living. And so... The ones who are well in spirit are the only ones that I encourage people to relate with directly are those who are in the 7 to 10 range of wellness. The ones who are, um, you would trust around the kids. You would trust them if they showed up in your room at night while you were sleeping. It's one of the uh, blind spots that sometimes, just sometimes occurs with teachers coming out of a more rooted indigenous 
culture when they teach to Westerners is because those cultures generalizing here tend to take care of the dead and to do rituals to ensure that when someone dies, they become a well-seated ancestor. They don't have a, a really extensive ghost problem necessarily. It's not a systemic cultural blind spot. And so their rituals with the ancestors are rituals of maintenance of a relationship that's already healthy. But to come to the West and say, just invoke your ancestors, call on them, honor them, feed them. Well, if, you know, you took everyone here in Western North Carolina and told them to invoke their ancestors, and they successfully did that by name with the last few generations of dead people, you really would get a full spectrum of wellness to dysfunction that would appear. And so to invoke the dead who are not yet well is not ritually beneficial. And so there's a need for Westerners whose families have not been taking care of the mysteries of the ancestors to approach, sadly, with a bit of caution and discernment and understand who is actually an ancestor and who is a not-yet-ancestor. But, you know, the, the dead, most generally, are all the human energy that's not incarnate right now, that dwells in the present. So the, the ancestors are not in memory. They're the souls of previously incarnate humans. So is there one single thing that listeners could do right now, safely, that would allow them just to begin to sweeten their relationship with the 7 to 10 group? Yeah, the first thing is to ask yourself if you want it, because it's a relationship. And if you don't actually want to be in a relationship, which sometimes entails being changed by it, then don't call it in because you're not ready because you're afraid, which is okay. So pause and actually ask yourself realistically, do I want to be in relationship with my ancestors, the well ones? Because to do so might be a quickening or a catalyst to close the gap between where I'm at now and where my soul or destiny is at. So, you know, provided you're like, all right, I'm on a growth path, let's do this, I'm, I want it, then just speak to the older well ones and something to the effect of grandmothers, grandfathers, beloved dead, those who are deeply well and at peace, I welcome relationship with you. Bring me to the right people, the right resources, the right practices, and help me to come to know you in a way that's good for me, good for my family, good for my path. I am putting out the call to you. Please show up. So just speak out loud to them in that way. Perhaps include with it an offering and you can also ask that those well ones step forward in a way that is protective and functionally creates a little distance between you and the not yet well ones in case the not yet well ones are unhelpfully in your space. So you can ask the well ones for protection and backing, but just speaking to them and letting them know you wish to be in relationship does set some things in motion. So that's a, that's, that's a starting point. Yeah. Beautiful. I love the constant reminder. People go, well, I don't know how to do that. It's like, you're talking to me right now. <laughs> Use your words. Oh, yeah. No, that's my main, like, can you give us a spiritual practice, Daniel? I'm like, yeah, start talking to the spirits out loud. Just talk to them. Just that What's action that? is a kind of decolonizing, breaking of cultural agreements that we're going to ignore all the other beings who don't have physical bodies like ours. 
Yeah. So it's a good habit to get into to talk to the spirits. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. So what would you think are the key things then to remember when you're talking to the dead? Oh, the main thing is to make sure you're speaking to the well ones and that you're, you know, I'm, I'm biased a bit that it's not like we wouldn't expect ourselves to just know Gaelic grammar. You would want to study that with someone who knows how to speak Gaelic. And I, I think it's a bit like that with ritual. Sometimes people think with meditation or with ceremony that it's just something you should know how to do. And I, there's no evidence for that. In any traditional culture, the community, community rituals, the individual mentorship that's happening uh, are the ways that people learn how to navigate ritual. And so much of ritual and ceremony is about communicating with other than humans or humans like the ancestors who are not physically incarnate. And so in a way, it's like seek out some training from anyone who you feel trustworthy about who knows how to navigate the topic of the ancestors. It's not fair to assume that we're automatically going to know how to do it. I think, I mean, that's been my experience. I've sought out training for people. Sure. But, you know, having said that, just ask them to appear to you in ways that are understandable and safe and beneficial for you and know how to nourish along those relationships in a way that's that's good for your life and your family. So holding that intent, holding that intent, creating a space for dropped-in quality connection, they'll show you what needs to happen next. And so, so in, in your book, you list seven, you know, very specific things for people, which, you know, they kind of seem obvious once you list them, but I do think that people forget these things, you know. So, like, the first one was, you know, establish and respect personal boundaries. You know, people work so hard to have boundaries with the living, and they forget we need to have boundaries with all of our helping spirits in terms of the, it's a relationship, right? So it needs healthy boundaries, Yeah, there's boundaries with the ones who are well and the boundaries with the ones who are not yet well. It's a different tone. With the ones who are not yet well, the boundary looks a lot like you need to back all the way up out of my space and respect that, period. This is the security. These are the protecting spirits. Until you're in the deeply well and at peace club, you need to be anywhere in the universe except for around me and my children. So it's okay to have a firm boundary, even with a deceased parent or grandparent, if they're not yet an ancestor. A uh, Mongolian shaman friend that I mentioned, Serengaro, would describe the dead or ghosts, the out-of-place dead, the ones who are, haven't transitioned yet, as a form of, of pollution, which is a kind of heavy word to ascribe to them. But it underscores the real... Um, problematic nature of their energy even if they're not seeking to be problematic and so the annoying relative who's got bad boundaries and then dies and isn't any better in spirit becomes the annoying relative who's got no body and bad boundaries and so if if you're not clear with your own energetic boundaries they can become a source of interference now with the dead who are well in spirit it's often more about intensity regulation like do you want them all up in your space all the time 
and you can typically be like, hey, like, good to see you. It's three in the morning. I need to sleep. Dial it back. Uh, you know, and, and so it, there's less of a need for a boundary there. It's more about just holding your own center in the relationship and not over committing to things you can't do and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. then what, what was your sense when you said the next being to maintain a witness state? If folks just rush to heal or help anytime there's trouble or suffering, they're not ready to do healing work for others in general. I, I kind of I feel pretty strongly about that. And it's not skillful to just automatically dive into a situation where there's suffering. The amount of, like, there's 20 million at least uh, people who are starving to death while we're having this conversation or slowly dying from dehydration because they don't have clean water. Not to mention all the other kinds of suffering on Earth. And freaking out about it does not fill their bellies. And there's just as much suffering among the dead. There's enough to totally drown your life and totally flood your family and all the people you know with heaviness and confusion and energetic doom. So if you have this, I'm going to collect up all the stray animals and save them mentality, respect to people who actually help stray animals, uh, it, but this kind of, I, I need to save everything that I encounter in my field of perception, It's not, you're not going to engage safely in the work. And so what I mean about maintaining a witness state is, um, is just that, to be able to, with your trusted helping spirits, have them show you, oh yes, this is what patriarchy and colonialism and racism did to your people. Just sit and observe for now, because if you're not able to observe what is, then we're not going to be able to proceed to healing things up a bit. So it doesn't mean we have to re-traumatize ourselves with the observation of the trouble, but it means don't just jump to intervene, seek understanding first. I feel really strongly about about that. It's a, uh, a blind spot in some aspects of healership, especially for people who are young to healing work. They'll jump in and have a little bit of a rescuer mentality and it's, it doesn't make for uh, a long career or longevity and it can actually be a cause harm. It can be an overstep. So. And then the next on your list was to avoid psychological meltdown. Yeah, that's a good thing to avoid pretty much always if you can. <laughs> the, um, what I mean is that there's no reward for being a martyr or for being so boundary diffuse, whether it's because that's your temperament or because of past trauma or whatever, there's no reward for becoming flooded with intergenerational grief or rage or whatever, such that your life becomes fractured and you're non-functional. It just, there's, uh, I don't know, in, in an odd way in some spiritual circles that is glamorized. And it's like, oh, you had a big spiritual opening. Okay, you might have. You you might just need some really good therapy instead of more ayahuasca. And so I'm a big fan of having good mental health. And if you don't have it yet, that's totally fine. Most people culturally are not well equipped with that. And so we 
hire support if we can. It's money well spent. And if you can't afford that, there there actually are other ways and ways to seek out healer type people. So um, it's important to respect limitations and know that when you're working with the ancestors, you can become flooded by collective pain or collective even, even bliss and joy in a way that you become annoying to other people. So, yeah, don't do that. That doesn't help anybody. So stay grounded about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to interrupt by laughing. Sorry. Um, okay. So number four would be to access traditional teachings. Yeah. And, and that comes back to the point about don't have the unrealistic expectation that you know how to do this stuff. Working with the dead who are not yet well is a bit like working with nuclear material. You can have a long career in that if you have your guide counter, your suit, you observe safety protocols. But if you don't, you can get ill and die prematurely. And working with those who are already in spirit, who are not yet well, if you're messy about it, or if you're just like, oh, the dead come to me and I just talk to them because I'm their friend because they're lonely or whatever, that kind of... Uh, I'm psychic, but I don't know how to control it or I don't have boundaries with it. If you, if you glamorize that, uh, that can be problematic. If you actually access traditions or teachings or people who have that skill but have learned to live with it for 30 years, then you'll get support and training on how to regulate it in a way that's uh, sustainable. So yeah, access traditional, access teachings and teachers. Uh, just in general, it's a it's a point of safety to get involved with traditions if you can find ones that are that are good for you. Yeah. And well, I'm going to finish your list here, but I just want to chime in and say, in my own ancestral healing work that I do on my clients' behalf, I often get suited up in hazmat gear by my ancestors before I go in <laughs> because it is sometimes excruciatingly toxic energy that even with my normal pretty good boundaries for spirit work it's not enough and that i need sure. extra special help from and, my ancestral protection and just yeah for sure and just a point of sharing about how i work personally is i i don't tune into other people's ancestors for them i step them through a process so i'm not uh and some people have the temperament or the inclination or whatever uh the calling to to do the work in that way but uh, perhaps it's an influence from my training as a therapist, but I'm not coming between or getting up in the mix with people and their own ancestors so much. And, and for me, that causes the method that I'm, I've developed to be, I would say, a bit safer for the practitioner. And uh, it allows it to be replicable and shareable. So I'm, I'm happy in that way to be training people on how to guide the work now. But even the well, trainees, they're not tuning in to the client's ancestors so much. And that's one of the things I want people to really understand about Daniel's book and Daniel's work is this is a really beautiful, thorough, safe way for you as an individual who does want to do this, to do this for your own family lines. 
and that and that's that's a I'm glad you brought this up because that is a really clear point that I want to make because many people don't want to buy into the whole big bundle of shamanism just to learn how to do this you know I train other shamanic practitioners to do this in a safe way Daniel's work is is this other beautiful aspect here as he's describing which is to really teach you to do your work with your family lines in a way that is safe and thorough and you start to understand the sort of larger and larger ramifications and thus the reason I'm really happy to have him here on this show because it answers that sort of big question for everybody in a really good way. I want to circle back to your little to your little list here because it's such a good list. So five is stay humble. Not even sure people know well, that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, and I think today. at that section I might go into the uh, different ways in which genocides in the past hundred years, uh, not to mention, of course, the bigger genocides of the, the double genocide of perpetuated by European settlers and colonists against African ancestor people and Native North, Native American people, people throughout the Americas, uh, in addition to those which were fueled a lot by racism and uh, religious extremism and things like that, colonialism. There are genocides in, say, Rwanda or Cambodia that are not constructed based on that, but still are a kind of ancestral inflation. Like if there wasn't a constructed ethnicity between Hutus and Tutsi people in Rwanda, it would be hard for that genocide that played out to get much traction. And so you once, like, state, like most listeners probably aren't like, I really need to cook up some genocide. Uh, but the seeds of that type of cultural disaster happen when people psychologically feed the view that their ancestors are better than the ancestors of other people. And that can happen in really egregious forms, like white supremacy, for example. And it can also happen when one's ancestors have experienced uh, persecution. And the strong and understandable identification with an experience of victimization gets concretized and expressed in a way that's actually uh, causes victimization toward others' ancestors. And so when I say be humble be conscientious that connecting with what's fantastic in your own blood lineages does not make you any cooler than other people. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't make you in any way better. And that's important. It's important to not indulge that arrogance or ego inflation or ancestral ego inflation even a little bit. So, yeah, that's true to to stay humble. Yeah. And then number six from your list is keep your intent clear. Yeah, well, if you, sure. It's important with any kind of ritual work if you're going in to have clear intent. And if you just want to be more charismatic and powerful and successful in the world, but you're not really open to whether or not your ancestors see your vocation or the way you're spending your time is being aligned with your destiny, it's probably safer to not even approach them because they will insist more or less dramatically on having input 
in your life. And so the ancestors are not an object. Like some people, not necessarily from bad intent, will say things like my power animal or my totem animal or my shamanic guide. I know what people mean. People say my ancestors as well. But it's important that that English construct not fuel the idea that somehow they're a part of you in the sense that it's it's mine. It's like my um, magical power that I keep in my pouch or something. And so if you think you can dictate the terms of how it goes with the ancestors, that's problematic. Uh, so it's important that you that we stay open to influence from them and have the intent for personal healing, family healing, empowerment, being on track with our destiny, that kind of thing. As long as we're open in that way, the ancestors tend to back it. It's good. They like it. They want, they want to help. So we've wandered a little bit here in the, in our first hour, but would you, th- are there other foundational ideas that you feel like we haven't quite wandered into that we would need to talk about before we, we dive a little, uh, deeper into the ramifications of the work? The dead can change. And I'm thinking, for example, of two individuals come to mind. One, a full-blooded traditional indigenous African person. Another, a full-blooded Native North American person. One, like Maladomo Sume and then Joseph Rael, beautiful painted arrow. And I, I've seen both of those people in a supportive way kind of tear into uh, or, or in, uh, kindly challenge. European ancestored people say things like, but I'm a loser because my people own slave because, because my people participate in genocide and native people. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. Like, don't you agree? And, and watching each of these people be like, no, that's not a constructive stance. You need to forgive your ancestors. And I would add, make sure they're well in spirit now. Uh, Maladoma is very passionate about saying that the dead who were quite harmful during life, once they get it, once they actually get it, not automatically, but once they get it, they're often quite motivated to work for good outcomes among the living. And so it's important for us to recognize that the dead change, to just hold them in a state of perpetual judgment, even when they've changed. It's a failure to actually relate we're objectifying them and we're not allowing for growth to happen and it comes out of a often not always but often our own sense of righteousness and wanting to be identified with the good and it's kind of a younger developmental stage that has not yet integrated the shadow and sees that all the trouble that's happened culturally also lives inside of us and that's good news that's where it should live because then we have leverage over it so yeah, the dead change. It's important that we not hold them in a frozen state. We actually need their support in order to culturally turn the corner on Earth right now because we're in, we're in quite deep crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're coming up on the end of our first hour here. So I just want to remind people that Daniel's book is available. It is called Ancestral Medicine by Daniel Four, PhD. Google it and purchase it. 
And, and again, this is that answer to those of you that keep asking me, you know, how – I just want to do this. I don't want the whole other shamanic package. I just want to learn to do this and be in right relationship with my ancestors and do what I can to help my family line both backwards and forwards. And so this is this is a beautiful way for you to do that. So you can buy the book, but even more – Go to ancestralmedicine.org and connect with the work that Daniel's doing. I mean, Daniel's traveling all over the place doing this teaching. So you could actually, like, go do it. And as he said, you know, be with someone who has learned how to do ritual, how to do ceremony, and learn from him. Be with him, sit with him, do the work with him. And so, and, and I'm assuming you've also got speaking engagements hither and thither. And can they I find do. that information yeah. on your yeah, website no, it's as well? Yeah, it's all on the site. And the yeah. only piece that might not be obvious that I would add is that now that I've trained others in the work, if you like the work but you don't like my personality or you don't want to work with a white guy, that's totally fine. There are others uh, of diverse ancestries, of diverse gender identities and expressions and backgrounds who are trained in the work. And so know that connecting with a practitioner in this work doesn't require interacting with me. So that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you that are practitioners or people that do have a deep journey practice and you're coming up on this ancestral stuff and you don't know anything to do with it other than psychopomp, which is not necessarily a complete answer, not that it's bad, but it's not necessarily complete understand that my training intensive weekend this year is February it coming up in September 22nd through 24th and you would be welcome to come and join me in Portland and we can do that there is prep for this weekend though so you need to register early not last minute because you need to do the prep or you will not be allowed to participate for all of the reasons Daniel has just described <laughs> so we have to make sure all that this is a beautiful way for you to do that so you can buy the book but even more Go to ancestralmedicine.org and connect with the work that Daniel's doing. I mean, Daniel's traveling all over the place doing this teaching. So you could actually, like, go do it. And as he said, you know, be with someone who has learned how to do ritual, how to do ceremony, and learn from him. Be with him, sit with him, do the work with him. And so, and, and I'm assuming you've also got speaking engagements hither and thither. And can they I find do. that information yeah. on your yeah, website no, as well? It's all on the site. And the yeah. only piece that might not be obvious that I would add is that now that I've trained others in the work, if you like the work but you don't like my personality or you don't want to work with a white guy, that's totally fine. There are others uh, of diverse ancestries, of diverse gender identities and expressions and backgrounds who are trained in the work. And so know that Connecting with a practitioner in this work doesn't require interacting with me. So that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you that are practitioners or people that do have a deep journey practice and you're coming up on this ancestral stuff and you don't know anything to do with it other than psychopomp, which is not necessarily a complete answer, not that it's bad, but it's not necessarily complete Understand that my training intensive weekend this year is February, coming up in September 22nd through 24th. And you would be welcome to come and join me in Portland and we can do that. There is prep for this weekend though, so you need to register early, not last minute, because you need to do the prep or you will not be allowed to participate for all of the reasons Daniel has just described. 
<laughs> we have to make sure all that stuff is in place before we begin. So we're going to pause here for just a moment and then continue our conversation with Daniel Four about ancestral medicine. 